All right, welcome everybody, uh, or should say welcome back. Um, I'm back after ha taking a, a week uh, break. I just felt like the Lord wanted me to take a break, so I really didn't do much. I did uh, some interviews, so please check those out on the Restoring Your Voice podcast. Uh, very, very, very great interviews with a former Muslim, and she just really tells you the uh, impact of apologetics and such like that. So go check them out. Um, I did also on my last one with Paul Granger. I'll be on his podcast. Um, but he was on. And all these interviews I do is for you. It's not for me. So please go check them out. Um, and then if you feel if you the Lord uh, leads you to give, uh, then you can find uh, the links uh, in the description on the video. Unless, of course, you're watching on Twitter. So if you're watching on Twitter, you can go over to YouTube. Or you can go over to uh, the YouTube channel is, by the way, my name, David C. McGuire. Or you can go over to the Restored to Life Church uh, Facebook page or my official Facebook page. And those are the areas that the links to give will be in the description. But we're not going to ask uh, for giving uh, during church. We're just going to trust in the Lord uh, to lead people to give. Just know that everything that you give will be donated uh, to people in need. So with that being said, um, it's going to, I'm just going to say, prepare your hearts for the message today. Okay. Prepare your hearts. This is a much needed message in this time. Um, it's a very, very serious message. So, um, you know, no time to joke around. Um, I am a humorous guy. I, I but there are things that I, I, I take lightly and I joke around about, but then there are things that are extremely serious. And this is one of those things that we're going to talk about today is the compromised church. I didn't really have any scriptures prepared for it. Um, but I am going to read from my from my Bible here and check it out. It's my new Bible I just got. Why? Because I value the Word of God and I value learning from the Word of God. So I have a lot of different Bible translations. Um, I use this one, the Modern English Version, just for clarity. Uh, it's a great translation. So if you if you like uh, New King James Version, also check out the MEV. Uh, but yeah, today we're going to talk about the Compromised Church, and uh, we'll get into it. But first, let's let's open up in a word of prayer, Lord. We invite you into this sermon. Lord, I pray for myself that you would move me out of the way. The Holy Spirit, you would speak through me. I'm just your vessel, and I humble myself before you right now. And I pray that this word reaches many, that this word will convict, Lord, that your word will pierce our hearts, will pierce us, pierce our hearts, Lord, and remove the compromise in our areas. I pray your the fire of your conviction will fall upon all who watch this. Lord, be glorified in us. This is for your glory and your glory alone. To prepare your bride, Jesus. To prepare your way, the way for you. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I said, the compromised church. All right, we, the church, are in a serious, serious trouble. I've said it again, I'll say it before. We, we point to this, to them, and we're pointing fingers outward when all the while we have three fingers pointing right back at us. Oh, the government this, the president that, and or or maybe you live uh, the prime minister that. But you know the reason that this has come about is because we let it come about. Because we compromised in the first place. We compromised. We made a choice to decide what we want to love and what we want to obey. All right, and I did make a graphic today and posted it about things Jesus never said. All right, 
because so, uh, this is what we go to. We think Jesus said, hey, because you love me, choose what you wish to obey. Jesus never said that. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey my commandments in John chapter 14. If you love me. He said, if you will, uh, to the effect of if you obey my commandments, then I will love you. Wait a minute here. I thought Jesus' love was unconditional for us. I thought he loved us no matter what we did. Yet in John chapter 14, you need to read it and study it and get it in your heart. He said, if you obey me, I will love you. Oh, so that means what would the, what would the opposite effects be? Oh, well, if we disobey him, I thought God loved me no matter what. Then why does the Bible say that if we disobey him, the wrath of God is upon us? I don't think that wrath is very loving, is it? But our God is all love. Yet we want to compromise. We want to let the label Christian be thrown on any and everything just because. Just because. We throw it on Catholicism. Whoa! I mean, it's turned into a Christian denomination. A denomination that believes in transubstantiation. Oh, we, we drink the literal blood of Jesus. That makes statues, bows down and prays to the dead. Things This Bible is against, and we will let it, we'll just throw it on there. We'll just slap that label on there. Yet, yet the word Christian should have the connotation of identifying with Christ. With the things that Christ loves and the things that Christ hates. The, the, the things that Christ tells us to do and the things that it tells us not to do, but we don't care anymore. And then we wonder why nobody cares anymore. And, and there's there's been lots of data coming out, polls done by, by various uh, organizations that, that do these kind of things where we're over half, half, over half of Americans, some cases 60%, some cases greater. Things like they don't even believe that the Holy Spirit is God, yet it's clear it's called God the Holy Spirit in this word. That don't study the Bible. That thing, things like, oh, I don't know, you can be, you can be homosexual and be a Christian. We have Christians out there searching for the truth. Yet who in this day and age is actually presenting the unfiltered truth? No, we'd rather not because I might offend somebody. Yet the word of God is supposed to be offensive. It's supposed to be a stumbling block. The word of God is not here to make us feel comfortable. The word of God is not here to affirm us. The word of God is to point to Jesus. From, Re from Genesis to Revelation, it points to Jesus. Yet we want it to point to us and affirm us in our disobedience. We think the word of God is to make us feel good. Will it? Absolutely. It will exhort us. It will encourage us. But it's not its sole purpose. It's to also instruct us. And instruction is not always pleasant. But we don't care about that anymore. Because we just want to feel good. And if I feel good, then that must make it true. But that's not what the Bible says. It says, thy word is true. Not my word. 
not anybody else's word. This word is true. Every jot, every tittle is true. But we don't care anymore. And we wonder why. Why 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 do we why are we getting censored, for instance, on social media, right? Why why do we get uh deplatformed? Why why does any of this happen? We let it happen in the first place because we didn't stand for the truth when it mattered. You see, taking a stand for Jesus matters every single day. So we can't cry when we've gotten to the point. We've gotten to now because we've compromised. We refuse to take a stand. We've bowed down. We've bowed down to manna. We've bowed down to Molech. Wait, 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 brother. You're talking about the churches bowed down to Molech? Oh, absolutely. When we have evangelicals, quote unquote, who are for abortion. And we have a case in the Supreme Court right now that went before the Supreme Court in regards to Mississippi and a heartbeat law there, which could have great implications for the overturning of Roe versus Wade. But we have those who would have, who would dare, who would have the chutzpah to call themselves Christian, yet support the murder of the most innocent. But we let that happen when we didn't take a stand for the unborn every single day. When we refused to preach it from the pulpits for fear of man. It's time we got away from that and started fearing the Lord again. It's the fear of the Lord that is the beginning of knowledge and wisdom. Not a degree. Not being a quote-unquote professional Christian. The fear of the Lord. Because the Bible also tells us that knowledge puffs up. Now, I'm not against degrees. But I'm against it. I'm against them when we use them as a litmus test of who is true and who is a man or woman of God. That is what I'm against. Because I believe that there was a reason Jesus chose the uneducated men of this world to become fishers of men. Because he knew prior to that, he saw the religious crowd of his day. He saw the educated men of his day, the educated religious leaders of his day. And he saw where they where where it got Israel. It got Israel to the point where they bowed down to anything and everything but God. They bowed down to traditions. They bowed down to straight out idolatry. And if you don't know, study that. Where the place where Jesus went to and Peter said and he asked his disciples and says Caesarea, who do you say I am, was rife with idolatry. Because the educated religious leaders of his day brought Israel to this point. They didn't take a stand for the things of God. They didn't take a thing, take a stand, for, oh, I don't know, for the things I say, you shall have no other gods before me. Mentioned, I don't know, somewhere, oh, what we like to call the Ten Commandments, but we somehow decide to ignore to today. We have lifted up professionalism degrees as our idol. If you don't think that it's true, let me just tell you what idolatry is. 
anything we place above God, right? We, we let this stuff in. Well, they must be a man or woman of God. Look at their degrees. Look, they're ordained. Well, if that's the litmus test, well, certainly people like Louis Farrakhan must be a great leader, right? He's ordained. Huh, people like Stephen Anderson must be a great leader then, right? Even though he calls for the um, for the murder of homosexuals, right? Completely against the Bible. Even though he mocks the Jews completely against the Bible. But this is a litmus test we put on whether somebody is truly a man or woman of God these days. Where's your church website? All these external things, instead of the e, instead of the internal, the part, the heart that God examines. God has standards, my friends, if you don't know that. God clearly states in his word that you shall be holy as I am holy, but we are not. We have let compromise in. Well, it's just this sin, we'll say. And we excuse sin. Yet God says to be holy. That's not a suggestion, my friends. Holiness should be a part of our lives, but it's not. You know, I've seen it time and again, especially in recent times, or especially, and this is the sad part, by, by Christian media outlets will lift up celebrities. Why? Because they identified with God. They they said the name of Jesus. And so, it must make them true. But yet, what does the Bible say? It says that even the demons know that who Jesus is, and but they tremble. Sad when at least the demons have, have tremble because of Jesus. But we don't. You know, what, what am I talking about? Celebrities that... that act in movies with with profanity abounding they think it's okay but we say well they mentioned god and they say they identify with god so it must be okay but we'll excuse the sin when god has clear standards we're not in this world to be loved by people jesus clearly made that point on his Sermon on the Mount. In fact, that's what he opened with. He went through the Beatitudes, right? And, and then he says something crazy, radical, and that tells us to rejoice when men say all evil things against us, when they persecute us, when they do all manner of evil against us. He tells us to rejoice about it. So the litmus test isn't whether people love us, how many people love us, the litmus test is, oh, wait a minute, are we hated by the world? Yeah, Jesus says such radical things like, they hate you because they first hated me. Yet, yet we think the litmus test is how famous we are. And I'm not disowning or dogging anybody who has a large platform, especially if they're truly men and women of God. What I, what I am speaking against is when that's the test, 
when we think that's the evidence of truth and godliness. But but the Bible has strong wording as usual, and it tells us this. And uh, let's see, I have, yeah. So if you go to Second John, if we flip to Second John, it says in verse seven, for many deceivers who do not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh have gone out into the world. Each one is a deceiver and an antichrist. Whoa, strong wording, huh? Antichrist? Yeah. This is what, check this out. Watch yourselves. So he's telling us to be careful, right? Watch out. Watch us, not everybody else. We need to examine our own selves. And it's not an examination, by the way, by what people say. It's an examination based on this book coupled with the Holy Spirit, but we don't like that anymore. You know, for years now, and when I've seen Christians in trouble, not, not in, in general trouble, I'm talking about they're depressed, they're anxious, they're maybe, maybe they're questioning their salvation, they're, they're deconstructing their faith, things like that. When, when I run into this, and I run into people like that, I ask them, the same question. That's for years now. What is your prayer life and Bible study life like? In other words, do you pray every day and do you study this word every day? I'll give you one guess as to the answer I get every single time. Without fail. The answer I get is that they don't have a regular prayer and Bible study life. And yet, they wonder why. Yet we are commanded to pray. Jesus showed us what a prayer life looks like. He valued the word of God, and that is who are we, we are uh, supposed to emulate at the end of the day, nobody else. Yet, we want to cry out, you know, when we're in trouble, when often we're, own, we're our own worst enemies. And we wonder, why do we get so easily deceived? Because we're not watching out. So what do I mean a prayer life and a Bible study life? Why, why should those two be together? Because, we can, one, we can't understand this word without the Holy Spirit. This is just words on a page. That's it, without the Holy Spirit. But when we couple this together with pray, when we value God over everything else, we'll see a change. We won't, we're not willing to be compromised anymore. In fact, compromise will make us sick. It will stir something up in us. Because God hates compromise, we will hate compromise. But we need to first hate it in our own lives first. Why? Continue on. Watch yourself so that you do not lose those things which we have worked for, but that we receive a full reward. Wait. So wait. Let's let's go that say that again. So that we do not lose those things for which we have worked. So everything I've said so far. It's clearly backed up by the word of God. We've lost our authority. We've abdicated it. We've abdicated our authority and our power. We've let the world tell us how we should be, and we've just went along with it. We, we've went along with it. You know, it used to be, and I'm not saying it's right, but I'm saying it used to be that the, that the homosexual community was in the closet. And it was, it would say they would come out of the closet. But now 
that community is telling us to get in the closet and we've let it happen. We have let it happen because we've allowed the name of Jesus to be perverted. We've gone from Christ to being antichrist. We, we value the things of this world more. We value comfort. We value money. We value people. In other words, the friendship of them. And yet the Bible tells us if we, friendship with the world makes us an enemy of God. So we wonder why we're ineffective when we're now the enemies of God. Let me ask you, for those of you who want Jesus to come back, what, why do you think he, it hasn't happened yet? Not because we know, nobody knows when he's coming back. Let me ask you, why do you think Jesus has yet to return? But think about what his word tells us. He'll return, right? The Bible talks about the fullness of the Gentiles. What does that mean? That means when the word is preached, right? At least everybody in the world has had a chance to preach the gospel, to hear the gospel message. Yet we'll let the world dictate to us, no, no, you have to leave those people alone. Look at their culture. We can't destroy it. Why are we more concerned with a culture being destroyed when clearly their souls are destroyed right now? We're more concerned with their culture being destroyed rather than the wide road that leads to destruction that Jesus talks about. Yeah, it's called taking a stand, even when the governments of the world are against us. I don't know, what, what age would what, what that happen? Oh, I know, in the Bible, for one. Well, somebody, a, a radical guy by the name of Paul, who lived in a day and age where the Roman government was the religion of the day, where you would have to bow down to Caesar. Yet, Paul came to Christ. Christ met him on that road to Damascus. And once, once Paul became a Jewish believer in Jesus, once he came to faith, his life was forever changed. He didn't bow down anymore. Amazing. Amazing. Yet we in this day and age, right, we'll, we'll see Christians, right, been saved for a number of years. Yet, what have they done for Christ? How have they matured since? Where's the passion and the zeal for the lost? Where's the passion and the zeal for discipleship? It's not there. Yet Paul, upon his conversion, right, upon getting healed of being blinded, immediately went to preaching the gospel. So fiery, so passionate that they literally stoned him to death. And then Paul was resurrected and went back in. Yet we, we yet, yet we'll hold jobs, you know, and we're afraid to identify as a Christian because we might get fired. Yet here's Paul identifying with Jesus getting stoned to death, getting scourged a number of times, getting thrown in jail, 
And then when Paul was thrown in jail, he rejoiced over it. He rejoiced over the fact that now, now he had the chance to reach a whole new group of people that he never had access to before. While he was in jail, it was when Paul wrote most of the letters in this Bible. Yet, yet, we're afraid to identify as Christians because. Now, I'm not saying losing your job is a light matter, especially if you have a family. And yet, the Bible is clear, though, that if we deny Jesus before mankind, he will deny us before our Father in heaven. Do you understand where I'm going with this compromise so far? We were willing to compromise. God is not willing to compromise. The Bible says that he is an all-consuming fire in the book of Hebrews. That's our God. Where's your consuming fire today for God? Where is your all-consuming fire for the things that God loves and the things that God hates? Yes, hate and love are not opposites. You want to know what you don't want you want to know what the opposite of love is? It's indifference. In other words, I don't care. I just leave me alone. Live and let live. Let's all get along. Let's all coexist together. That's what indifference looks like today in our modern vernacular. Now listen to this continuing on in 2 John, and we'll go to verse 9. By the way, it only has one chapter. Whoever transgresses and does not remain in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever remains in the teaching of Christ has both the Father and the Son. If anyone... Now, I've talked about this before. Is there, I think it was a podcast episode about, are there actually people where we are, have nothing to do with? Right? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. Check that out. We're not even supposed to say hi to him. Right? In other words, we, if we pass them on the street, say nothing. Ignore them. For whoever greets him, check this out takes part in his evil deeds. That's strong wording. Wait, wait. Just saying hi, a greeting is bad? Yeah, because the Bible tells us not to do it. It's not written in this word just to be there. It's to instruct us. There are groups of people we have nothing to do with. Why? Because we take part in their evil deeds. In other words, in other words, if we do this, what will happen? Right? They are the ones that are going to pollute us. We're not going to have an, have an impact on them. But brother, I thought we were supposed to preach the gospel. Well, there are some things that we just need to leave in God's hands at the end of the day. We just need to leave it up to God. Why? Because God tells us what to do and what not to do. Therefore, the results of what happens to a person or does not is up to God at the end of the day in this matter. Yeah, we need to realize it's, it's time to kick the compromise out of our church. You got people in your church that have been there for years, yet refuse to have anything to do? Yeah, it's time to get them out. It's time to cleanse the temples. But brother, that's radical. That's because Jesus is that radical. You know, he did it twice uh, in his lifetime, that's actually recorded. He might have done more. We don't know because not everything that he did was written down. But at the beginning and towards the end of his ministry, Jesus cleansed the temple. 
because we have allowed our churches to become temples and dens of iniquity where sin is okayed. Known sin, by the way. Known sin. Where pastors can be addicted to pornography yet preach from the pulpit. All the while, the leadership, the elders know about it, but don't think it's bad. Why, why do we think sin is okay all of a sudden? Why do we think it's okay to excuse sin, a life of sin? Because we think now repentance is a dirty word all of a sudden. No, bro, once I repent, that's it, once I came to Christ. Yeah, the Bible instructs us to repent when we, if we sin. So, so in 1 John, go read it for yourselves. If we sin, it's a command. What are we supposed to do? Come before Jesus. It's not, it's, it's not a suggestion. Yeah, this is the radical things that are actually in the Bible. The Bible tells us about. Look at this. In, in, in uh, 3 John, yeah, that one only has one chapter, by the way. How, let, me, let me highlight to you. This, I think, clearly illustrates a lot of the leadership we have today. I wrote to the church, but the Astrophes, who loves to put himself first among them, did not accept us. Whoa, you mean John is actually calling this guy out for that? Yeah. So what did he do? Why is John writing this? Because he placed himself first. How often do we see that? We, see, we saw what happened with, with Carl Lentz in Hillsong Church. He placed himself above the congregants, right? No mention of how often he would meet with his congregants. Why? Because he placed himself first. It's called selfishness. Pastors out there, let me tell you what. If you don't know your congregation, you are in the wrong. If you don't meet with your congregation regularly, not, not that maybe one day out of a month or however you know, often you might hold for, for newcomers. If you don't know your congregation, you're in the wrong. If you don't get to know them, you're in the wrong. You're placing yourself first. Jesus exemplified what being a shepherd is supposed to look like. He knew his disciples. Not saying the 12 apostles, that's different. He had about 70 disciples that traveled with him on a regular basis. He knew them. He talked with them. If you're not, if you're not exemplifying the great shepherd Jesus, you are a false shepherd. You're placing yourself first. You, you are of selfishness and of the Antichrist, and I'm just going to call it like it is. Because when Jesus returns, he's going to be looking for faith. And being a compromised shepherd is not being filled with faith. It's being filled with fear of man. And fear and faith don't go together, my friends. But what else does John write about? Because of this, if I come, I will bring up what kinds of works he does, ranting against us with malicious words, not content with that. He does not accept the brothers. Oh, watch this. And stops those who want to and throws them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate that which is evil, but that which is good. Whoever does good is from God, but whoever does evil has not seen God. Yet we have let evil 
be perpetuated in our churches. Right? We'll let anybody come in. Doesn't matter if they're dressed like a harlot. Let them come on in. All the while, they're drawing and tempting men away from Christ by the way they dress. We don't care because we just want them to be comfortable. Churches are not supposed to be comfortable. It's not a place to come to to feel good. It's a place to come to for first, fellowship with fellow believers. Two, to hear the word of God. The unfettered, unfiltered word of God. That we're not willing to let that happen. And, and, and many times people will chop and change churches because they go to one church and I didn't, I didn't feel comfortable there. Feelings are not the litmus test of truth. The litmus test of truth is truth. What? What do you mean by that? Is it true or not? Does it instruct? Rebuke, correct us. Yeah, those are three things actually listed in the Bible that the Word of God is for. When you go to a church and you feel uncomfortable because the message makes you feel uncomfortable, make it, it, that, that's usually a good sign that you're being convicted. It shows you the sign that the Holy Spirit wants to do is work in you. Don't run away from that. You keep running, God's going to stop chasing you down. I know there's people, oh, God will chase you down till you die. No, you know, how, you know what the Word of God actually says? Yeah, the, the Word of God actually says that we can have our consciences seared. That, that means that sin will no longer bother us. That's a dangerous place to be, and I wouldn't. I, oof, I would not want that to happen to anybody. But people are out there like that. Why? Because they've rejected the truth and the convictions of the Holy Spirit for so long, and they've ran for so long that sin no longer bothers them. Now they're just searching and going to a place and seeking friendships of people that will affirm them. Let me, let me tell you what true friendship looks like. True friendship looks like. You both can speak truth into each other's lives because you love each other. You love each other enough to speak truth when it matters. How do I know that? Because Jesus did the same thing. He talked about radical things, but if you love me, you obey my commandments, right? I don't no longer call you servants, I call you friends. Yet we, and yet we see something radical like Jesus rebuking his disciples and his apostles when they did wrong things. He didn't let it stand. Yet they were there with him. They didn't run away from it. True friendship. That's what true friendship looks like. Exemplified in the Bible. Exemplified in the life of Jesus. We're not to affirm anybody in their sin. Jesus never did that. Did he hang out with them? Yes. But he never once affirmed sin. What Jesus hung out with them for is for the purposes of redemption, for the purposes of preaching repentance. The first Jesus ever, the first message Jesus ever preached. Repent. 
for the kingdom of God is at hand. He never first preached about, I love you. He never first preached about, come to me, all who are weary. I've come to heal. It's like, no, repent. That means to turn away from the world and his sin. That, that means to have a change of mind. No, it doesn't mean to just change our mind. It means to change the way, to have our minds changed in the way we think about things. To make a conscious choice that sin is no longer okay. That's what it means. It means we follow Jesus. My friends, it's time we got back to the real gospel. We want to be effective. We want to see revival. I want to see revival too. But I'm telling you, it's not here yet. Until we get sold up for Jesus, it's not happening. What would that look like in our life? That means we finally decide to obey Jesus, to take up our crosses, to deny ourselves, and follow Jesus daily, no matter the cost. Even if it costs our very lives, if it costs us friendships, if it costs us families, we will say, no, for you, Jesus, I will live for you. And for me to die is gain. That I wish to live crucified for Christ. And I will preach nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. I will not preach on getting money and rich. I will not preach on getting healed. My friends, anyway, you're not going to get healed while you have sin in your life anyways. I will forgive people radically because Jesus did that. Because he first forgave me in my wretched sin. I cried out, Jesus, forgive me. And he washed me clean from my sin. And therefore, I will radically forgive others. I will forgive them as radically as Jesus was willing to forgive me. Though I was wretched. Though I broke his heart. Though I spat in his face and hurt him time and time and time again. And even though I am saved, I am not yet fully perfected. And I still hurt him. And I still break his heart at times. And yet every time I run to the loving arms of Jesus, he will forgive me and wash me clean of my sin. And therefore, because of that, I will exemplify that. I will stop being bitter toward people. You want to live radically sold out? You got to forgive people. You have to let go of that bitterness. Because you'll never live sold out for Jesus as long as you refuse to forgive. Why? Because the Bible says so. He says, if you do not forgive others, your Father in heaven will not forgive you of your sins. Let me tell you, forgiveness is not saying it's okay what you did wrong to me. Forgiveness is saying, I'm letting go of you I'm sick of you taking up real estate in my head. And you know what I'm talking about. I know people are watching, listening. you got people taking up real estate in your head. In other words, you can't let go. Every day of your life, you think about them. And it's not in a good light. And it's poisoning you day after day after day. Many of you, and I feel like this is a word from the Lord, are suffering aches and pains and other ailments not because of any type of spiritual attack. I know people out there are doing that now. Oh, it's the spirit of Python. 
No. It's your bitterness and unforgiveness that's doing it to yourself. It's not an attack by the enemy. The enemy doesn't have to do anything against you. Why? Because you're doing it to yourself. And it poisons you day after day after day. And no matter the amount of medication you take, you don't get better. The symptoms are still there. And they flare up and they flare up and they flare up. Because you do not forgive. Forgiveness says, I'm going to leave it in your hands, God. I'm sick of playing God. I'm sick of playing Holy Spirit Jr. with them. I'm going to let go. I'm going to let you, God. And if they do pop up in my head again, I'm going to forgive them. I'm going to pray for them. Radical things like that. Brother, that's not possible. I don't know what you're talking about. No, they have to come to me first. You know, let me, let me tell you something from my personal life. I went to Iraq three times. All right? And it wasn't a deployment where I just sat back and relaxed and, and drank Starbucks coffee and green beans coffee or whatever. No, no, no. No, I saw many of my brothers in arms killed by radical Muslims. I myself was wounded as a result. Effects of I still have today, even though it was back in August of 2008. And for a long time, I hated Muslims. Not saying it's right, but I, that's where I was at at one point in time. And yet the power of God, when I came to Jesus, when I came back, and he set me free and erratically saved me, you know what I did? I forgave them all. What are the chances of me ever, ever seeing them? I don't know who they were. I briefly came into contact with the two, two uh, extremists who were responsible for blowing up a car bomb that killed eight of my brothers in arms. But the chances of me coming into contact with any of them are none. That much, zero. And yet, I forgave them. You know what I pray for nowadays? I pray for Muslims to come to Christ. And, and I see that, not just because of me alone, obviously, but I see Muslims coming to Christ daily. I see it's in the news. Jesus shows up to them and they get sold out. And before you think I'm talking nonsense, wait, you mean it comes out of custom? Let me just give you, so I'm going where the Holy Spirit leads me today. Let, let me tell you the cost that Muslims have to pay when they come to Christ. Because the, the, the Muslim community, right, these people don't go to banks. They don't rely on banks or loans or credit cards. You know what they rely upon? Their community to provide for them if they're in need. That, that is pretty radical, which, by the way, I wish the church would do that, but that's a whole other sermon. But I'm telling you, that's just one. Two, they will be completely disowned from their family. And believe me, Muslims love family. They love it. Three, and there are cases where now they must fear for their life and they must run and they must flee. Now, these are the prices that Muslims pay when they make that decision for Christ. And yet they're coming. Yet we can't, yet we refuse to say stuff because we might get fired. People might, I don't know, say bad stuff about us and their feelings will get hurt. That's where we're at in America. You want revival? 
Don't just say you want revival. Repent today. Where does revival start? Go look in the mirror. That's where revival starts. It's easy to point the finger outward. Oh, look at those Christians over there. What they believe. What do you believe, my friends? What have you fallen for? What what antichrist doctrine and theology have you fallen for in these last days that we're in? Oh, yo, I can't do that, brother. I'm a charismatic. Identifying as a charismatic means nothing. What are your beliefs that you think you high you, you so value so highly? Do they the scripture the scripture confirm them? I didn't say do they confirm scripture because we can read anything in the scripture that we want to. The scripture confirm them. That's the litmus test, brother. What are you talking about? Maybe you say something like that because you don't ever study this. When's the last time you picked this book up? When's, when's the last time you read even just a chapter of the Bible? That's legalism. No. That's Christianity 101. Basic Christianity. That we would get to know God as much as we can on this side of glory. What, what are you doing right now? Everything that I've said up to this point. It's time to put it on the scales. Is it God you value more? Is it a preacher that you value more? Is it your comfort? Or is it God? Which one? And all that I've talked about so far, and there could be more. I'm trying to check out the time now. Are we going for about 45 minutes? What I've talked, which is going to balance out? We're putting it on the scales today. Where is God on that scale? Is, does he outweigh these things and more? Or, or, or have you put stuff in such, such emphasis that it's become your idol, right? And now it outweighs God. God is no longer God in life. Maybe he never was today. Regardless, I'm calling for the repentance of the church today. Brother, all of us? Yeah. Brother, I don't know if I fall into that category. Well, praise God that you don't. But you know, Daniel exemplified what's called corporate repentance. Identificational sin, it's called. Yeah, can you believe an uneducated brother like me can even say that? Identificational sins are not words. We, I, because we are part of the church, which Paul talks about, right? In his word, he says, if one rejoices, we all rejoice. But if one grieves, and we all grieve, there are a lot of people, believe me, it's not just some these days. Unfortunately, right now, it is a majority of the church. And I am so grieved. That is why I preach this. You know, the, the the Lord had me not say anything about any of this last week. I held it in, held it in. Believe me, brothers, I, that fire been burning in me. And I wanted to get this out sooner. But I had to obey God first. And wait today. Wait till today.
So what are you going to do about it? I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning. I don't care how long I have to go. I'm not, I'm not beholden to a time frame. I'm beholden to God and God alone. We're going to repent today. I'm calling for the repentance, for corporate repentance. And then I'm going to make a call for individual repentance. So you need to share this now. Where you need to retweet it now, wherever you whatever you watch platform you're watching, you need to share it right now. This time, it's time to get the compromise out of the church. Compromise has to get out. We're coming before the Lord right now. The judge. Yeah. Jesus, the judge. He's judging you right now. He's judging the, the thoughts and intentions of your heart right now. Don't put it off. Don't put it off. You don't know what's going to happen to you tomorrow. But I go to church. I read the Bible. I pray. None of that saves you. Those things are evidence. I, but they don't save you. If you've never come to Jesus in your life or you only thought you did because you prayed a quick five-minute prayer that the pastor told you to repeat, that doesn't save you either. No, we do those things out of a love for God, but we can also do those things because we love ourselves, by the way. We can become just like the Pharisees, right, where we live. Look how much I pray. Look how much of the Bible I study, right? All the while, whitewashed tombs. Lord, we come to you today in the name of Jesus. We come before you, Lord, where we have sinned, we have fallen short, where we have let the external Define the internal. Lord, we we have compromised so badly. Wherever we're at, whatever nation we live in, we have compromised so badly. Lord, we ask for your forgiveness. Forgive us as we cry out to you. Wash us clean. Or we have let sin infiltrate. Or we have let sin in and called it good. Forgive us. Lord, open our eyes to see so that we may not call evil good and good evil any longer. But Lord, let us value you above everybody else. Anything else, Lord. A burning desire, put it in us. Pray with me now as the Lord leads you to pray. But I'm just going to continue praying. You pray however the Lord leads you to pray. Lord, Lord, we have let sin in. Lord, forgive us, God. We have fallen so short. We walked away. We didn't draw near to you. Help us to return. Help us to return to our first love. Draw us back. We don't deserve your mercy. We don't deserve your grace. We don't deserve. We deserve your wrath and your judgment poured out upon us. And so we're begging you. Jesus. Be merciful to us today. No, we don't deserve it. We've spurned you so often. Lord, it's a wonder that you haven't destroyed us yet. Lord, forgive us. Bring a burning desire in us for the things of you, Lord. Your word says that you are an all-consuming fire. Let your fire consume Everything, not of you, O oh God, in our lives today in the name of Jesus. Oh, 
Lord, let it no longer be said to us, I know your deeds and I found you wanting. I know your works and they make me sick. Let it no longer be said, Lord, but let our works be an evidence of the faith in us in the name of Jesus. Prune us, O Lord, that we may bear fruit for the kingdom in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I call on you to the altar right now. Come to the altar. We need to lay all on the altar right now. And I'm not just calling for things that are sin. I'm calling for everything to be laid on the altar today. Ministries. Churches to be laid on the altar today. Position. I don't care if you're an apostle, if you're a prophet, pastor, teacher, any of that. I don't care what gifts of the Spirit you operate. Lay it all on the altar today. Give it over to God before it becomes an idol in your life. Lay it down before God and let it be sanctified in the name of Jesus for Jesus today. Lord, we lay it on the altar today. Titles, positions, friendships, ministries, churches. Everything we lay on the altar today in the name of Jesus. Sanctify it. Lord, maybe you never called us to be pastors in the first place, but we thought we did because we went to seminary, we went to Bible college, and we thought, Pastor, it is. Well, we're laying even that on the altar today in the name of Jesus, that we may go where you sent us. Because you sent us somewhere. We just got off track. Bring us back in the name of Jesus. I feel like some people are going to listen to this today that are pastors, and you're wondering, bro, so often you've wrestled why you struggle. You struggle to get out of bed. You struggle to put a sermon together. You hate and abhor going and leading preaching church on a Sunday. And you wonder why. Because God never calls you there. God has a calling on your life today. I want to let you know that it's time for you to let go of that role as pastor and time for you to step into your calling today. I can't tell you exactly what your calling is, but I'm telling you that you've known it. And, and don't feel condemned or even convicted because you step away. Stepping away is obeying God. God only calls some to be certain. Not everybody. He said, you know, that the term pastor, by the way, is only mentioned once in the New Testament. One time in Ephesians chapter 4. But yet, Jesus said, the, the Bible says that Jesus only called some to be. That's not you. And I want you to feel condemned because you walk away. No, you're walking away in obedience to God. And that's praiseworthy, brothers and sisters. But whatever you might be doing today, and you struggle in it, it's not, it's not a struggle because of, of resistance or what people say or don't say. What it is is, is that you're struggling because God never called you there. But you didn't know any better. Right? You just didn't know. But I'm telling you, God has a purpose on your life today. I want to let you know that. Don't, don't be condemned. Don't... Now, if, if people want to sit in judgment because of your obedience to God, then it's time to walk away from them. But don't, don't, don't. I, I don't want you to do that. But I also want you to reach out to us for anything. If you want prayer, reach out to us. Email us, please. The email, yes, is um, in the About sections on Facebook and YouTube. So if you want to email, go ahead. But the email is David. 
dot mcguire so david dot mcguire at restored to life dot org reach out to us for anything that you that you that you need we will pray for you know that we may not always get back to you but no we will definitely pray for you if you need, if you need counseling for something i'm not saying therapy by the way if you need we, we offer uh, pastoral counseling what whatever's going on in your life reach out to us please and just know that if, if we're not equipped because nobody's equipped to handle everything but if we're not equipped to handle you we will help you find somebody who is equipped to handle whatever you need help in, by the way. All right. We're not going to leave you hanging. I just want to let you know that. We are not going to leave you hanging. So I'm going to end here today. We'll see what happens next Sunday. I don't know yet. I'm just going to, we may continue on this vein. Or may go where, or the Holy Spirit may have me go somewhere else. I don't know right now. But it's time. We got back to the true heart of God and returned to our first love, my friends. All right, be blessed today. In the name of Jesus, I love all of you. Go forth in Jesus' name, for Jesus' name. Have a blessed week.